Emily Plank has spent her whole adult career in education, first as a middle school teacher and then as an early childhood educator and owner of an in-home daycare. Now she does a lot of work with parents and other child care providers who are seeking to understand the complex and amazing world of young children. Emily is the mother of three young children, and she recently closed her own in-home daycare program because she and her family are preparing to spend four months on a ship with Semester at Sea. Emily is the primary author and thinker behind the popular blog AbundantLifeChildren.com. She's a published author and quite simply a very delightful woman to have a conversation with. I'm so glad she took the time to talk to me for this podcast. This is Parenting Reimagined, a place where the conversation goes beyond what we do as parents, and we take the time to consider what parenting teaches us, how it transforms us, and what being parents means for the landscape of our inner lives. I am Sherry Walling. Would you just begin by introducing yourself and saying a bit about your family and your vocation? Yes, I would I would love to. So um, my family, I have um, three small children, a five-year-old who just started kindergarten yesterday, oh, um, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old. So I have three very close in age. Um, I'm married to um, a wonderful and supportive and um, dedicated husband, and we're a good team together. Um, I began my work in education about 13 years ago. So my degree is in education, and uh, when I started, I thought that I wanted to do elementary education. I student taught in a first grade classroom, and I thought, oh my goodness, this is not for me. This is not a good fit. And um, I shifted to fifth grade, and fifth grade was a great fit. My first job was in middle school math and science, and I taught middle school math and science for a few years and loved it. I fell in love with it. Um, But what I discovered when I was teaching middle school math and science, I worked with a very high-risk population of students, and um, what I discovered was that um, a lot of their ways of thinking about the world had kind of been wired already, had kind of been set already. And so I had an opportunity um, about uh, seven years ago to transition into early childhood, to go back to working with young children. And I opened up an in-home daycare and preschool. And when I did that, um, that's when I found my vocational match. Um, I think that when I was trying to work in a classroom setting, it, it had some inflexibility about it that wasn't a good personality fit for me. It's a great personality (laughs) fit for some people, but that was hard. But when I could work on my own um, and with my own schedule, pursuing my own um, values around education, that was really, that was really a fit. The day to day, day in, day out work of a family child care provider is perhaps one of the hardest and most challenging things I will ever do with my life. (laughs) Um, hmm. It was very, um, very fulfilling, and I, I had very rich days. Um, 
but there's a lot of demand that family child care providers have in terms of caring for the physical and the emotional uh, safety of the children in their care. And um, so, so on the one hand, you know, I would engage in my days with great joy and great energy. And on the other hand, I would get done with my days and think, oh my goodness, I am so exhausted. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so about four years ago, I'm trying to think if I've got my, t- my timeline right. Three or four years ago, I had an invitation to begin um, doing some teaching with adults. And um, that felt like the missing piece in my whole equation. So I could mm-hmm. work, work during my days with young children and um, devote time and energy and passion into what I was doing there. And then in the evenings, I could read about what I was doing and, and learn about you know, learn beyond what I had gotten in college, learn about what was going on in their minds, learn about play, learn about um, respecting children, learn about how they learn to share with each other. And then I could turn around and, and have conversations with adults about those things. And that felt like a complete circle to me. Hmm. And so then a few years back, I began um, a blog maybe a year and a half ago I started a blog and a digital community and that has taken off. So so I have like these little pieces that are all kind of connected and they all kind of fuel this passion that I have for making sure that young children um, have the best possible opportunity hmm. in life. And it sounds like there's something about the flexibility that has really that you've really responded to, that there's flexibility and creativity yes. in setting your work up this way. Yes, absolutely. The next piece of my journey is that um, in in June, this last June, my family moved from Iowa out to California, and I had to officially close my program, and that was a very difficult decision to make. <laughs> um, I was mm-hmm. very connected to the families and the children that I worked with and very connected to the community that I was in. Um, but our family's life where we are going through some transition um, because of my husband's career. And so we are kind of in a six-month holding pattern before we begin a ne- our next adventure. And so for the six months, I'm working exclusively with my own children and writing and reading and teaching. I'll be traveling to some conferences and stuff this fall. So um, so that okay. feels like a big shift for me, but I do resonate with that idea of flexibility because I feel like I have this deep sense for what what is best for kids or what I think is best for kids and the opportunity to get to pursue that. Hmm. Just to pursue it best. and talk about it. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you even have this this season of your life where you have the six months where where you're really focusing on that with, with your own children. Yes. It's a neat season. Yes, yes, very neat season. And that is um, it's something I'm really I'm enjoying already. We've been here for about two months, um, though I still, I mean, I was having a conversation with my husband about this last night. I feel like I still don't have my feet underneath me yet. <laughs> it's still, it's taking a little while to get every everything kind of um, oriented towards here. Um, but... I am already really enjoying it, and I am looking forward to the next few months. Hmm. What have you really loved about motherhood? That's an interesting question. I think what what I thought, well, I'll answer that question in two ways. 
I think what I thought I would love about motherhood is different than what I actually love about motherhood. And I think on the front end, what I thought I would love about motherhood was really snuggling with my kids and um, rocking my infant children, you know, almost the almost the play version of mothering that <laughs> you do when you're growing up. <laughs> with a baby doll. Dressing them and putting them in a stroller and taking them for a walk. And, <laughs> and um, so, you know, I kind of anticipated loving some of that about motherhood. And I have loved that about motherhood. But what I've discovered I love a whole lot more, and I, I it's a good thing I love this a whole lot more because they grow up pretty quick. <laughs> um, what I love more is, is reflecting on the actual process of mothering and um, making very intentional choices about what I do in my experience with my children with a very long-term vision in mind for who I hope they'll become as adults. Hmm. Um, And so I think what I love most about motherhood is getting to have such an input into a human being's life I'm making a really big difference in the lives of three future adults. And that's a very um, daunting task but and a humbling task, and it's also an incredible task. And I think that's the thing that I've loved the most is thinking about, you know, how does what I'm doing right now have an impact on who they become as adults? The people building. Yes. The, the strategy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> this isn't just by accident that – how I'm choosing to feed them or how I'm choosing to clothe them or how I'm choosing to spend my days with them. You know, it's not by accident and it's, it's with this idea in mind. And I think the piece of um, recognizing that I have, I do make a great and significant impact. And, and also they are their own human being, you know, they are their own people. And so the intersection between who they are and who I am and how that is kind of fizzing together to create this human being is just, (laughs) incredible well and also I just realized this as I said that you know that we create this human being but I am being created as a human being in this process just as much as they are being created you know yeah how are they how are they shaping you how is this changing who you are well (laughs) I I think this is probably a common experience I think I'm finding out a lot about um what I'm good at, but I'm finding more out about what I'm not very good at, (laughs) where I, you know, where my (laughs) buttons are or how impatient I can be or how, um, how frustrated I can get at such a short time over small little insignificant things. Um, but it's also teaching me, I mean, I, I, before having children, if I had a need to go hang out with friends and be with friends, I would just do that. And with children, it's I have to be much more intentional about identifying what my needs are and protecting those needs and taking care of those needs because it doesn't just happen necessarily throughout the course of the day. I mean, it would be very easy for me to spend my entire day in my home with my children, you know, walking outside to check the mail, and that's about it. You know, and so um, I'm finding out a lot about what's important to me and what gives me life, both things that I can get while I'm with my children and things that I get while I'm away from my children, and how important those life-giving things are to keeping me a whole person for my Mm. children. 
The word that keeps coming to my mind as I listen to you is the word intentional. Mm. Thinking about you being so intentional with your kids and the the long view of their lives, mm-hmm. knowing that what you do now matters and you have to be so intentional and careful. Right. And even as you're thinking about your your own development and realizing that motherhood has foreseen you to be intentional and careful yes. with yourself and the moments of your life. And Yes. I'm, it makes me feel encouraged to hear you say that because that's of everything that I want to do with my kids. I want to be so intentional. I don't want to look back 20 years from now and think, Oh gosh, that was just the one big reaction to whatever was happening. And Certainly I have um, reactive moments where, you know, I'm making decisions in the moment that don't turn out to be the best ones, but um, I really have a desire to be very intentional about what I'm doing. So. You've spent a lot of time with children and and their families, you know, under, understanding that the children that are in your home that you're caring for, you are interacting with their families a lot. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'm wondering what, what that part of your journey has taught you about parenting. Um, I think what that journey has taught me is that there are many paths to healthy, whole adulthood, adulthoods, maybe. <laughs> That's if I'm grammatically, speaking grammatically in, in a full sentence. Um, there are many ways to reach adulthood and many right ways to reach adulthood. And um, I think that one of the things that we do as parents that's um, – a tragedy is we we champion certain aspects of childhood so strongly that we don't make room for other ways of doing things. And so here's what I mean. Um, I was talking to a friend about this a couple nights ago. If you take almost any parenting decision in isolation, it can be easy to choose a right way and a wrong way. So for example, if you think of breastfeeding, if you put take breastfeeding out of context and you say, is it best to breastfeed a child or to formula feed a child, I think without hesitation you can pretty much say breastfeeding would be best for kids. But if you put that decision into context of what the family is experiencing, it's not always the best decision. And here's what I mean. My um, One of my close friends um, worked very hard to breastfeed her child and there was there were complications with with the birth that didn't allow that to happen easily with the child. And so she worked, I mean, she dedicated her whole experience that first month to working on um, breastfeeding. And she committed a, she committed so much of herself to trying to make that work. And um, she committed so much of herself that in the end she was tired and stressed and so putting that decision into context, um, I, I'm trying to figure out how to say this this well, but um, there were other factors informing it. And at some point, yeah. the health, the emotional health of the mother, when you put that up against the physical health of the child, it's a whole package together. And so all of a sudden, it's yeah. not a very easy decision. Do I breastfeed or do I formula feed? Or do I, you know, do I pump and give bottles? Um, sure. Which she tried to do, which she did do for a very long time. But also, then she was up at night 
pumping. And so she's compromising her sleep when she could be sleeping because her child is sleeping. And, you know, the decision is so complex. And I think, um, you know, we read all these books and we listen to people speak. I mean, people like me, even who write blogs, (laughs) who say this is the right way to do it. And, And I don't think there is one right way to do almost anything. And the hard thing is because we think there's one right way to do things, it's hard to give ourselves the space to make a different choice. So for my friend who was having a hard time breastfeeding, it was hard for her to give herself the space to say, I'm okay with a bottle. It's okay. And my emotional health and my child's emotional health, um, these are linked up together. And so it's okay if I make this decision. I mean, I had that experience with my oldest. I envisioned breastfeeding her till she was a year old, maybe longer. And when it came down to it, about seven months old, she just was not interested anymore. And part of it was my work because I was trying to breastfeed her alongside my daycare. And that's a busy place to try to breastfeed a child. And I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't go off into a room by myself and close the door and try to breastfeed her there. And so because there was so much distraction – she couldn't continue to eat, and I went to my um, – she's always been a small child, but I went to her six-month checkup, and she had gone from being in the 23rd percentile for weight to the 7th percentile for weight. And my doctor was like, you need to do something about this. And I felt so much guilt because I felt like I was tied to this decision of breastfeeding, ignoring the other things that were going on. So – yeah, I don't know. I mean, working with, with other families, reflecting on my own experience, there are many right ways to healthy and successful adulthood. And um, yeah. I think if we could give ourselves more flexibility and grace in that process and extend that to other people, we would end up with healthier children. <laughs> and we might be healthier, and too. And <laughs> we would be healthier. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I so appreciate what you're saying. I think, um, I think because we are so... We're so we want to do it right. We want to do the best yes. for our kids, but it's so easy to lose the context and the situation, and to um, try to follow doctrine dogmatically without accounting for you know your individual family. And right. It, it, it can just make for neurotic, unhappy parents who yes. are forcing something because they think it's best, but the the forcing in and of itself. Um, is problematic for everyone, right? the parents and the child. Right. Your blog is um, just really beautiful. And it's Thank you. AbundantLifeChildren.com, is that right? Yes. I have it in front. AbundantLifeChildren.com. Yes. And it's just a great resource, and I'm guessing a, a source of support for lots of families. But reading it, one might be sort of tempted to think you have – this parenting thing pretty figured out. <laughs> yes. Are there that you, you know, you're still struggling to be the kind of parent you aspire to? Oh, absolutely. And what I've told other people, and I know I've written it before in the blog, is that um, 95% of what I write, I am writing to myself as much as I am writing for other people. And um, it's it, what I write comes out of the situations that I'm living in. And, um, you know, they're reminders for me as much as they are anything else. Um, the other, I wrote a piece the other day about being flexible with our children and how we sometimes hold our children to a different standard than we hold ourselves to. 
and it came out of an experience in the office supply store. I was in the office supply store, and I was so hungry, and my middle daughter was asking me question after question after question. Mom, can you do this? Mom, can you do this? And I felt myself getting so short-tempered with her, and I, I just was impatient and short and my answers were not respectful and I stopped and I gave myself a moment to think and I thought Emily the reason that you're responding this way is because you're hungry and so I looked at my daughter and I told her you know what sweetie I am so hungry I cannot answer any more questions right now we need to leave this door (laughs) go get some lunch and then I can answer more questions and I understand you know here I am an adult and and that level of self-reflection is not automatic for me, (laughs) but I'm learning to be reflective in that way in the moment. Um, But I realize, you know, when our kids are grumpy and our kids are grouchy, we often respond to those behaviors. We say, stop, you know, stop shouting at your brother or stop whining or whatever it is without, without giving them the space, the space to think maybe they're hungry, maybe they're tired, maybe they're, Um, sad because they had to leave their little lizard outside or whatever it is, you know. We give ourselves that space. And I can say to myself, oh, Emily, you know, you can excuse your, you can excuse that short temper because you're hungry. And I think that's a really important piece of grace that we give ourselves is to say, um, I'm giving myself space because I'm hungry or whatever it is. But we need to extend that same thing to our own kids. And so I had this moment in the office store, and this happens to me all the time. I'm like, oh, that's what I need to write about next because I would want to read this if I were reading. (laughs) But I'm convinced that a large part of the time, if people could see me parent, it would make them feel more comfortable in their own skin because I make mistakes every day. And um, with our big move out to California, um, my oldest daughter is a very intense, can be a very intense child. And it's been a hard transition on her and some of her emotional intensity um, doesn't always bring out the best in me. And so when I, um, of course, I am also going through this transition moving from Iowa to California. And so I am not necessarily in a um, emotionally fulfilled place to then try to parent a child who sure. is emotionally off balance. And so, I, I, yeah, I think if people could see me, they would recognize we are all in this together. <laughs> this is not yeah. This is not something that anybody has figured out. Um, and I think our imperfections as parents can be a, a real source of learning and support for our kids because it makes our kids realize that they don't have to be perfect kids either. You know that we're yeah. all imperfect together. Yeah. One of the things that I like to ask people about is actually their sense of, of spirituality or faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people, this is not an important question, and for some people it is. Mm-hmm. But I, I guess I'm wondering if parenting has has shaped your sense of, of God or spirituality or faith. Uh-huh. Well, um, I I grew up in a Christian family, and um, and my faith has always been a very important part of what I do. Um, I think my faith has become a little more broad as I've grown up and a little more open and and I have found that as a parent a lot of it comes to knowing how um, I treat myself and how I treat other people and um, how that is a reflection of who I believe God to be and that um, as I see as I find um, examples of 
how I'm supposed to live my life, that that translates to my kids. Hmm. It's been interesting to think about how I raise my children to be people who have a sense of belonging in a sense of belonging globally, a sense of responsibility to to humanity. And for me, my faith really answers a lot of those questions. I can't just be my own little person pursuing my own little thing in my little corner of the world, but 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 we are all tied to each other. I want my kids to have a sensitivity towards that. So one of the small examples of that is how I raise my kids to have a sense of justice and injustice. And, you know, I feel like there's justice with a capital J, like the really big issues that I as an adult am passionate about. And then there's justice with a little J in terms of like how I try to work on conflicts between my own children. And so um, one of the phrases, for example, that I think a lot about is the phrase, that's not fair. That hmm. kids say that all the time. That's not fair. He got so, more grapes than I did. Or that's not fair. She got to play with that for longer than I did. And I think our conventional way of dealing with that as adults is to, is reactionary. It's to say, that is too fair. You guys got the same number of grapes. Or that is too fair. You guys each got to play with a toy. Um, rather than to honor the seed of that question, which is this notion of um, equality and justice. And so... Even from the very beginning, I work a lot with my kids on recognizing that fairness is when everybody's needs are being met. And so mm-hmm. whether or not you have the same number of grapes is inconsequential. It's whether or not you both have had enough to feel full. So are you hungry still? Because if you're hungry and he's not hungry anymore, that's not fair. We need to work so that you're not hungry anymore. And so when I work on those, those little J issues, on those issues that come up every day with my kids, I feel like I'm, I I hope that I'm raising them to be kids who are sensitive to the big J issues of poverty and educational injustice and um, social injustices. And those are all things that my faith compels me to address. I've also, you know, just in our conversation, I've heard you use the word grace a couple of times. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Which I know is a very spiritual word. (laughs) Yeah, well, it has like a religious connotation, but I, I like way that you're using it in, in a sense of extending grace to children and to ourselves and to mm-hmm. other families. Do you want to say a little bit about like, well, sort of what that works? Yeah, means and I think, um, I think as I was growing up, I kind of um, held on to this, this very strict idea of behaving, that I was supposed to behave rightly, that that's what God wanted was for me to behave rightly. And I think as I've grown, my idea of that has just expanded. My my faith has become a much more space-filled faith. Um, I still have a very strong commitment to um, my Christian beliefs, um, but they're not so exclusively oriented anymore, where I feel like they were more when I was younger. Um, I feel like my world experiences have kind of opened my eyes to see that there are lots of right ways to do things. And, and so as I've grown the ideas that really have been on my heart have been um, grace and fullness and space. (laughs) And that Mm. those are all things that I think are, those are all things that I inherit from my faith, from God. And um, those are all things that I extend to my children and that I extend to other people that, you know, 
who's to say that any of us have this right? (laughs) I'm, I am working with the integrity that I can. I'm seeking out truth in my life as is everybody else, I guess. couple of, of things that I've noticed about your blog is when you're, you've talked a little bit about the Global Voices Project, and yeah. that, I guess, ties into some of the, the justice issues yes. that you, you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. But, but what is that project, and, and what inspired you to do it? Well, I think what inspired me to do it is I've, it, reading. Reading inspires me to do a lot, but um, I had read a couple of books about the cultural nature of education and parenting. Um, um, one was a book called Babies. It's um, Babies, and the subtitle is something like Imagine Childcare in Seven Different Settings. And um, another one was kind of a popular book that came out a few years ago called um, How Eskimos Keep Their Babies Warm. Um, and there's another book that I'm reading right now that I'm going to be reviewing on my blog in a couple of weeks called um, Baby Meets World by Nicholas Day. And all of these books have a common theme of looking at how education and parenting has been done across time and across culture. The Global Voices Project, I had this idea of posting on my blog and just saying, if you are a parent or an educator in another country or in any country, because I did have some contributors from the United States, and you would be interested in writing a reflection for me, write to me. Tell me about that, and I'd love to include your voice in my project. And so my first uh, Mm -hmm. snapshot was mealtimes. And I had people from eight or nine different countries give me reflections about how mealtimes look in their settings. And um, my favorite was my contributor from Portugal, and she talked about how um, children are spoon-fed until they are old enough to hold a fork and a knife themselves, which is usually three years old. And so they're spoon-fed until about three. And in the United States, we have such a strong value for independence that the thought of dependence in the mealtime setting where a child is dependent on me to feed them with a spoon is like, what? It's so foreign. (laughs) I can't believe, what? Why would you spoon feed a child? Well, in Portugal, it is um, highly um, disrespectful to eat your food with your hands. And so as adults, I mean, pizza, hamburgers, sandwiches, it doesn't matter what it is, you don't touch it with your hands, you eat it with a fork and a knife. And so as an adult, as I've traveled to other countries, when I'm traveling to Portugal, and seeing that, you know, when people eat pizza, they don't pick it up with their hands, you know, I was like, whoa, that's crazy. (laughs) And so that (laughs) affects the way they parent. And so I think um, understanding that the way we do things is so radically different gives us I'm going to go back to this word of grace. It gives us some yeah. space around the way we do things. We don't have to hold on so tightly to what we do, and there isn't one right way to do it. Um, yeah. And so I thought, you know, well, what better than me just saying that in a blog post would be if I had other people actually give examples of how different it is. So mm-hmm. I ran my first series on mealtimes, um, about ten months ago, and I had a vision for running several different series, uh, several different um, installments of this particular project, and um, I haven't gotten back to it since then. <laughs> so I've done meal times, and I'm really interested in looking at what childcare looks like in different settings. I'm interested in looking at what sleeping looks like in different settings. I don't know, all those kinds of things. So I yeah. I have lots of vision for how it's going to continue to move forward. And so if anybody listening 
is interested in being a contributor, you can go to my website and um, somewhere on there, I know in the in the tab called About Emily, there's a contact form. You can find me and email me and tell me you'd like to be a part of it. But Or find me on awesome. Facebook. Find me anywhere. Tell me that you want to tell me about what your life is like, and I'd love to feature it. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, so you know, at some point pretty soon I'll do that. The other thing that's kind of cool, so I mentioned that we're in California for six months, and we have this new adventure that's going to be happening starting in January. Um, yes. Yeah, I know. It's a big one. Tell us about that. I know. Okay, so my husband just finished his PhD in religious studies, and um, he is moving into academia. And on his way, on, on that path, he had an invitation to work with Semester at Sea for a semester. And um, so we jumped on it. <laughs> so our family is going to be sailing um, with, it's through the University of Virginia, and we'll okay. be sailing with 700 college students. There will be other families and children and, and older adults on board. It's a, it's a little community on board. But we will be stopping in 12 different countries and 16 different port cities over the course of the next uh, five months from January until May. And wow. so my, my next vision, which is kind of tied into the Global Voices Project, is I'm hoping to connect with educators in those different port cities and go visit their preschools and see mm. what is preschool like in China? What is preschool like in Singapore? What is preschool like in um, Burma? You know, all the different places that we're going to visit. Well, I'm excited to read about how that goes with yes. you and your family. Maybe we can do a follow-up when you get oh, back. Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> Let's talk to you all about traveling with children and, and just, you know, watching your children experience some very different languages and mm -hmm. food and places and what a neat, rich experience. Yeah. Hmm. So when your children turn 18 or, or whatever age it is when they are ready to go off on their own yes. young adult adventures, yes. <laughs> how do you hope that they will describe you describe their mother, their, their new college friends, or their, you know, the people they're in the Peace Corps with. Oh, you know, yes. Oh, that would make me happy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I hope they describe me as a very cool mother. <laughs> um, actually, that's not really very important to me. Um, what I hope they take from their experience with me is that I hope that I will be a person who can be a sounding board for them and who can be a, um, a source of um, guidance for them and wisdom for them. But I hope that what they take away is that I really tried to nurture them into the people that they were supposed to become. And so I, I didn't try to take myself or my ideas of the world and lay it flat on top of them, but I tried to say, this is, this is what I hope for you. These are my, these are my dreams for you. And then, like, let's see where you go, you know. Mm -hmm. So I hope when they leave that they, that they see me as a person who really did encourage them to be themselves, um, that they didn't have to live up to my expectations of anything, you know, that we had, we had guidelines as a family about how we operate in the world. <laughs> but besides right. that, that they have the space to grow up into who they're supposed to become and that um, I – I'm a person they can always come back to no matter how many times they make mistakes and um, imperfection is expected and that's how we yeah. learn about life. And so 
um, I, I hope I always am seen from their eyes as a very safe, safe place to be. I think that's probably the biggest thing I hope for. Um, I hope they feel respected um, by me, and I hope they feel respect for our family. I hope they feel a sense of adventure, that they are excited about new experiences and all those great things. And I hope they, I hope they grow up to be people who change the world. <laughs> you know, I have, I have exciting, exciting ideas for how, how life can be big for them. Well, if you could offer one, one simple kind of sentence or two of encouragement to other parents, what would it be? What would you, what's your sort of gift that you would give out there to the world of parents? I think my gift to the world of parents would just be that there is space in parenting, even if it feels like there's not. And I, and, and the follow-up to that would be that we have more intuition than we give ourselves credit for. We have more really spot-on intuition than we give ourselves credit for. Thank you for listening to this episode of Parenting Reimagined. If you like what you heard, visit our website, parentingreimagined.org, and sign up for our mailing list. You can also like us on Facebook. Thanks for taking the time to be part of this community of parents who's committed to learning the deeper lessons of parenting.